Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, November 15th, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Island College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And you might remember, we spent part of Sunday's podcast discussing Thursday night's game between Michigan State and Seton Hall under the idea that Seton Hall star Miles Powell would not be available because his coach, Kevin Willard, basically said Miles Powell is dead. In fairness, he didn't go that far. Not quite that far. But what Kevin did say is that the injury Miles Powell suffered last Saturday, he said, it's, he said listen, this is not a one-game deal. This is not a two-game deal. And technically speaking, turns out he's right because it was a zero-game deal. Miles Powell miraculously played Thursday night against Michigan State, scored 37 points in 34 minutes, 12 of 27 from the field, made six three-pointers, he was awesome. Even so, Michigan State still won 76-73. But let's start with this, Norlander. How did Miles Powell rise from the dead? How did he go from handicapped to, to a 37-point score against the preseason number one team in a span of five days? You're the self-proclaimed doctor, so you tell me. Because <laughs> on this one, I'll be honest, I was just relying on Kevin Willard. And when he says, listen, this is not a one-game deal or a two-game deal, I'm like, well, well, like the next game is Michigan State, so there's no way he's going to play against Michigan State. And and then, you know, we're in a group text with some other college basketball writers, and like a couple of whom were actually in the traditional, uh, Prudential yeah. Center, and they're like, Miles Powell's got all his stuff on. Like, he's out here on the court. And it's like, okay, but, like, you know, sometimes players just wear their stuff, whatever. And then it's like, Miles Powell's starting to warm up. It's like, what? <laughs> like, this doesn't even make sense relative to – like, they, like Kevin Willard made it sound like Miles Powell was out a month, and he was never out at all. And then here's the weird thing. So they – naturally, he gets asked about it last night. And he says, well, I always knew he was going to play. What? Like, what are you – Norlander, you explain it to me. I – Credit to Kevin. Well, first of all, in my in my recap, if you are listening to the podcast and you want to kill some more time, uh, bring up the CBS Sports app, and I got a f- I got five extended thoughts on this game last night. And then in one of the capsules there, I said, I actually, uh, I'm kind of convinced that Miles Powell was never actually injured, and this was just a, a huge ploy and a successful one by Kevin Willard to uh, to kind of try to throw off. Well, I guess not a successful one because they lost, but <laughs> Miles Powell did score 37 and looked as good last night as almost any player I've seen in the first two weeks of a season in the past five years. He was fantastic. But, yeah, I think that uh, I think the nature of the injury was obviously exaggerated. I mean, we had you know a quick three, four-minute earnest discussion about this is Miles Powell's senior season. <laughs> He's going up against Michigan State, maybe the uh, the preseason player, uh, definitely the preseason player in the year in Cash Winston, maybe the eventual uh, end of season player of the year, and you're going to miss out on this. It's just it just sucks. Let's hope he's okay. Let's hope it's not like a Tua situation where he's out for three weeks and he's hobbling, and then he's straight up balling, and to the point where 
like the liftoff from those three-pointers, and he had some absurd shots, and it was so, so enjoyable to watch Miles Powell do his thing last night. But when you saw him take those deep threes, listen, man, uh, credit to Seton Hall's training staff and whatever they shot him up with if they needed to uh, to numb up the ankle. Because he did – Parrish, he did not look injured. He did not look like he suffered any kind of ankle injury. And if he fought through that and was playing at – 80%, 90%, 75%, then look the hell out. Uh, he's the front runner for player of the year because I know he was, on, he was at 140%. He was incredible. He was incredible. And the point you make about him getting off the floor, like, first off, he was cut. Like, I, I watched him early in the game because I just wanted to see how he was running off screens, how he was cutting, moving, because that's what the ankle does. Like, anybody, I don't want to say anybody, but an ankle injury is not going to prevent you from making a shot. In theory, but like the way you move, cut, cut, run off a screen, move, boom, that kind of stuff is the stuff you can't do if you're on a bad ankle. And he looked beautiful, like from start to finish. And the point you make about how high he gets off the court when he's shooting these jumpers is a point that Tom Izzo also made after the game. Uh, like, like. Tom was like, listen, I've been around a lot of great basketball players. That kid's great. And, <laughs> no, no, and- no, 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 hold on. That's, okay. that's not what he said. I want to okay. give you the direct quote. Uh, Borzello, Jeff Borzello, our buddy, tweeted it last night. I'm bringing up his Twitter feed because Izzo said it on the telecast afterward when he sat down with the Fox Sports 1 crew, and then he said it again. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm not saying this can't be true, but after the game, Tom Izzo starts his press conference and says, Miles Powell is one of the great players I've ever seen in college basketball. Immediately, Tom Izzo saying that in a no, mid-November game. And you know what? He mostly looked the part with uh, the final two possessions were obviously not going his way, um, but just incredible. Continue, though. Izzo saying that. I, I, I don't yeah. think that should be overlooked, the fact. Because Izzo isn't one to BS, and for him to say that after a performance like that I thought was notable. And, and, and let's talk about what Kevin Willard said as well. Kevin Willard said, Miles Powell is the best player in the country, and it's not even close. Okay. And I don't know if it's not even close, <laughs> but I think you could make a reasonable argument he might be the best college basketball player in the country. Not the best NBA prospect, but man, he gets buckets in 37 against a Tom Izzo coach team when you were dead five days ago. It's pretty incredible. It, 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 it's close. I mean, listen, Willard's going to stick up for his guy. I get all sure. that. And, and probably in the immediacy of the loss, you want to say that all the more because, you know, because Seton Hall should have won the game. Um, it's. <laughs> It's a little disrespectful considering Cassius Winston just played in the game and hit the huge three to give Michigan State uh, the lead at that point. Uh, Miles Powell was the better player, and there's no doubt about it. And Cassius Winston, of course, by the by, is still going through something existential at this moment, and it's still commendable for him to be on the floor, score 21 points. He didn't have a great game. He had a couple of iffy passes. He had foul issues that, that slowed him and Xavier Tillman. It's incredible for Michigan State that it was able to win despite the fact that its two best players, Tillman and Winston, combined for, what, 7 of 26 shooting, something like that? Um, but for Willard to say it's not even close, it is actually close, but last night it wasn't. And Miles Powell, I'll tell you the other thing I thought when I was, when I was watching him, 
And I actually normally don't float into the NBA realm this early in the season because I like college basketball and its talent. Like, let's celebrate for what they are. Let's celebrate them as college basketball players. Seth Davis rails on this about once a season, and I very much agree with him. It doesn't always have to be about what these players do, how quick they can get to the NBA, what they can do to translate as NBA players. I feel like coverage of the sport has drifted maybe a little too much in that direction in recent years. But but regardless of all that, I'm going to contradict myself and say, when I watched Miles Powell last night, I thought... If this dude does not get drafted, it will be absurd, and he's going to make a roster a year from now. And we're going to look up in three years, and Miles Powell is going to be making buckets for an NBA team. So I think that he is uh, very much on track to be a first-team All-American come March, as he was in the preseason. And it will be, frankly, idiotic if he remains healthy and is able to average anywhere between 23 and 29 a game this season and doesn't get drafted. Just keep that in the back of your head going forward, because this dude is incredible. I know he had a couple of bad possessions to close out the game, and that's why Seton Hall lost. I'll give Tillman some credit for good defense. If you want to call one of those two a foul, I'd buy it, but it's not like it was a completely uneven whistle the whole game. I didn't have an issue with the officiating overall. I know some Seton Hall fans are a little bit salty over this because you don't get a lot of opportunities to host a top-five team in this. Again, as I mentioned on the previous podcast, a huge year for the Pirates, but overall, Powell delivers, and it wasn't just him. Oh, I mean, he was the star. There's no doubt about it. But Miles Kale played well. Romaro Gill had, what, four or five blocks. Oh, Seton Hall showed me, and I picked Providence to <laughs> Providence of the recent loss at Northwestern. We can move along here. Um, I thought that Providence would be the best team in the Big East, but right, I'm, gonna, I'm about ready to change that opinion, Parrish. Uh, we'll see what Villanova can or can't do. They just got wiped out by Ohio State. Uh, Seton Hall looks size-wise, player-wise, to be best equipped to win the Big East this season. Even in a loss, I came away extremely impressed with them beyond all the Powell magnificence. Uh, Seton Hall was the preseason favorite in the Big East, according to the official Big East poll. Um, it's who I picked, which doesn't mean I, like, I didn't have a unique idea on this. It's like most people pick Seton Hall, even if you went with Providence. But, um, you know, it's still early. It's November 15th, but I get it. It's a loss, 76-73. But you play in Michigan State to the buzzer um, makes me think you're legitimate. You're worthy of the ranking that you have. And when you combine it with Providence's loss and Villanova just getting run completely off the floor by Ohio State earlier this week, we made a big deal, and I wrote about this very briefly, about, um, oh, wow, Evansville, 25-point favorite, um, and and they uh, – they, they, uh, I mean, Evansville, 25-point underdog mm-hmm. at Kentucky, and then they win the game. I mean, obviously, massive upset, historic. If you want the details, go listen to the last podcast. But Ohio State was a one-point favorite, and then goes into Villanova and wins by 25. I mean, that's pretty um, – goes against Villanova and wins by 25. That's pretty impressive as well, and it might say something about – might, not definitely, but might say something about the Big East. Seton Hall looks the part. Villanova got some stuff to get through. Providence got some stuff to get through. On Miles Powell – you mentioned about the NBA, and it, I think still one of the biggest flaws in the NBA evaluation process, and let me be clear, those guys are incredible at what they do. They found Damian Lillard at Weber State. Um, one of the flaws, though, still, is that they look at incredibly productive college basketball players and focus on what they think maybe they can't do as opposed to just looking at what they do do. And I don't mean doo-doo, like poo-poo. I mean like what they actually do on a basketball court. And like in, in Memphis right now, we're dealing with this. Brandon Clark, 
had the second highest player efficiency rating in college basketball last year behind only Zion Williamson. But, like, he's a little short for the position he plays and this and that. He was drafted, like, outside of the top 15 for sure. And he looks great. Like, he looks like a real NBA player. He's been terrific so far. In fact, I believe – this might not be true now, but when I looked it up earlier in the week, he has the highest player efficiency rating among NBA rookies. He's been great. And, and like, it shouldn't be a surprise. The re- he was great last year at Gonzaga because he's just super productive, always around the rim, quick jumper, incredible athlete, and now he's doing it again. I'm with you. That, that's my long-winded way of mm-hmm. saying I'm with you on Miles Powell. Somebody who goes out and can get buckets like this um, should be able to find a spot in the NBA. And I know somebody right now is thinking, well, what about Jimmer Fredette? I hear you. I'll bet on Miles Powell. I, I think Miles Powell is going to end up on an NBA roster. Yeah, I he th- his ability to uh, catch and release, hit these tough shots, and it's it's not just last night. I mean, if you followed Seton Hall last season, and it's been a tournament team in recent seasons here. In fact, it's gonna you know Seton Hall obviously you know in spite of the loss here is set up to uh, to not just have its best season you know in twenty five plus years, but Kevin Willard has been progressing this thing along here for a while, and this should be the culmination of it. But if you've been watching the program in recent seasons, as it's made the NCAA tournament you know, four years running, this should be the fifth straight year. Uh, Powell has been a guy who has been uh, heavily targeted by defenses and continued to be awesome in spite of it. And that looks like it c- can be set to continue. Uh, pr- again, presuming that he was... <laughs> As to quote Paris, he looked at 140% last night. If 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 in all actuality he was he was anything below 90%, and he can uh, bring out even more of that, it's it's going to be um, fun as hell. And Powell uh, will not just be must-watch television. Uh, he could be you know r- right. I still think that Cole Anthony's going to probably be in the driver's seat for the the player we talk about the most in the sport this season, given who he plays for and the fact that he is going to UNC will need. Cole as much as Seton Hall will need Miles. Um, so just keep that keep that in mind going forward. The other thing on Seton Hall, before we just touch on Michigan State real quick, um, the loss stings a bit because um, the schedule is just so tough here. Now they got to go to St. Louis on Sunday. That's a game they can lose. Um, it's just a tricky one. Like I don't know how good St. Louis is or isn't this season. Obviously hasn't lost yet. Hasn't played a, a real legitimate opponent yet. But that's a top Four team in the A10, I think this season, top five for sure. So that's tricky. And then they got to go to Battle for Atlantis. They open with Oregon. If they win and Gonzaga wins, they play Gonzaga to Seton Hall. And if they were to win that, they might get North Carolina. If they don't, they could get Alabama or Iowa State. And still, after that, they got to return and they got to play actually at Iowa State in December at Rutgers, which is no gimme. They got to host Maryland. There's still so much for Seton Hall to play in the non-conference that what I think we're going to get here is a Seton Hall team with at least three, maybe four, but I'll say three. I, I think this team is really, really good. But four is obviously on the table. That many losses heading into Big East play, so they're probably not going to crack into the top ten of the AP Top 25 at all uh, before Big East play, and it might even take them until mid to late January to even get there if they can. So... What we could have with Seton Hall is because of the strength of their schedule, they might be a bit undervalued, but you see their size, you see their playmakers. Powell could be the best player in the country this season. 
again, I know we're early, Parrish, but if I'm really projecting down the road, this could be the kind of team um, where it lands on like a three seed, a four seed, or five seed. But it might it might be better than what it's given uh, because it's going to play so many good opponents. So just keep that in mind. It, it's it stings a little bit because had you gotten that win, that is just so huge at home. Uh, nevertheless, Michigan State gets the win. What were your thoughts on? how they were able to pull it out because they got a 10-2 run to close it, and they got, I mean, the dude was not Cassius Winston. The dude was the guy no one saw coming, freshman Malik Hall, a wing, 7-7 from the field. Was it 17 points in 19 minutes? He was... He was the most important player to me by far for Michigan State, and and I, in judging what Tom Izzo said after the game, Parish, I even think like, he played 19 minutes. I don't even know if Izzo was expecting to play him 10 minutes given his size in, in Seton Hall's front court, but he was uh, he was a stud and could be a big uh, could be a big development for the Spartans. No question. Uh, like Tom joked afterward on the television broadcast, like somebody's going to be upset back home because I haven't been playing him uh, enough. He's now averaging even after getting 19 points last night. He's now averaging just thirteen point, um, just thirteen point seven minutes per game. He played nine in the season opening loss uh, against Kentucky, thirteen um, in the second game of the season, and was obviously terrific in this one. Um, listen, you, you, it's a basketball game. You're going to get unexpected performances almost always from somebody. Perhaps not seven of seven from the field, but unexpected performances from everybody. Are you? Are you? Again, it's November fifteenth. Uh-huh. Uh, we're in the second week of the season. What do you feel about Michigan State right now? They they lost to a Kentucky team that, yeah, was ranked second in the country, but also just lost at home to Evansville. They get taken to the final minute and had to go on a run late to avoid starting one and two this season. And when we talked about Michigan State in the preseason, one of the reasons they were a uh, preseason number one is. It's well documented. Three of the top four scores from a 32-win team went to the Final Four, blah, blah, blah. But if you're trying to figure out how this team is going to go from really good to great, it's it's rooted somewhat in Xavier Tillman is going to make a jump, and he's averaging 9-9. Nine and nine. I mean, that's, you know, it's 9-9, nine and nine, but, it's, but it's also 9-9, nine and nine, and he was <laughs> terrible last night. One of nine from the field, three points, got 11 rebounds, but three points, four turnovers. Where are you at on Michigan State? Well, the, the, the sample size is not nearly big enough, but they are the number one rated offense at Ken Palm, number six in defense right now um, through three games. If you would have blind me, had me guess that, Parrish, I would have said Michigan State somewhere between 15 and 25 offensive efficiency. They're, they're number one. I was I was surprised by that. Um, Tillman did have here's, – here's why – I still love Michigan State's long-term prospects, not th- not just because they got the w- they got the win. And Tillman Tillman for him had like a C game, but despite not playing well, hitting some foul trouble and all that stuff, makes a beautiful dish near the end uh, to help Michigan State get the go-ahead bucket. And then defensively, I mean, I still think, and he might be a kind Tillman might be the kind of guy. Um, for worse, not for better, that Michigan State has to learn how to use him so he doesn't get himself in foul trouble. Um, but he came up big in the final minute on that on that end of the floor, and they need him to be that because, you know, Marcus Bingham is not that kind of player, not even close yet. Um, Aaron Henry's not quite big enough. Kyle Arns has taken a little bit of a step back, it looks like, this season. So just in, in terms of an, uh, an imposing, reliable interior presence, uh, Tillman has to be that guy, and I think he will be that guy to maintain Michigan State's status as a top-five level team 
uh, maybe practically from wire to wire. Spoke on Winston. Not too concerned about him overall. He hits the big bucket. I mean, there were that second half. It had a little bit of a like a playground pickup feeling that there was a lot of like back and forth missed shots and bad plays, but it was frenzied and it was fun. And when Cassius hit that go ahead three, uh, which uh, came after Rocket Watts hitting a big three to cut the lead from I think five to two uh, with like a minute thirty to go. It's just a super fun game. About as good of a game as you could really ask for, considering we didn't think Powell was going to play. He winds up getting on the floor. And the Michigan State got good play from Foster Lawyer in the first half. Aaron Henry, I, I guess apparently, uh, credit to um, Brendan Quinn, the, uh, the beat reporter for The Athletic, reported that uh, Aaron Henry did, in fact, twist both of his ankles in the first half. He comes back, he plays, and made like an incredible like move to the basket and reverse layup. They got a little bit out of him. Issa said, obviously, he's not fully 100% now, so we'll see how tender those ankles are. Fortunately for Michigan State, they play Charleston Southern on Monday, and then they will not play again until the Maui Invitational a week later. Um, they'll open up against Sha- uh, They'll open up against Virginia Tech and then get the winner of Georgia versus Dayton. We'll see what we get from there. But uh, 2-1 for Michigan State. I think the win was big because if it had lost, and I'll be clear, with 60 seconds to go, I definitely thought Seton Hall was winning the game. I mean, when when Powell hits the and-one three-pointer, and that was, what, like a minute 50 to go or whatever it was, I thought, okay, (laughs) this is just, he's absurd, like out of his mind, and Seton Hall is going to get a great, great, great win in Michigan State. We're going to be talking about him on the podcast as a one-and-two team that's going to go from preseason number one to probably dropping somewhere along the the lines of like a 13 or 14 in the polls. That's not going to happen. Michigan State will maintain its status uh, somewhere between number two, number three in the AP Top 25. So overall, I like I, I'm I'm very much in on uh, on what Michigan State is because I loved how much help it got around Winston and Tillman. Not just Malik Hall; he was the star, but I just thought there was enough there, and there's enough to be inspired by if you're a Michigan State fan. Uh, on the whole, my bottom line takeaway, Paris, is that what I saw Michigan State able to do on Thursday is why I still would not run or walk or crawl away from me picking the Spartans to win the national title. Um, I I think I I mostly agree with you. Um, If you're looking for a reason to be encouraged by what we've seen from Michigan State, I think it's tied to the last two minutes of that game last night. They're down five with 150 to play on the road against a nice crowd. Um, that that's a tough spot to be in, particularly when the other team's got Miles Powell, who at that point's already well into his 30s in terms of, of points in this contest. The Cassius Winston four-point play comes with 60 sec- 67 seconds left, 107 left on the clock. And so you're down five, less than two to play on the road against a top 15 team with a star. That's tough. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you get out of it, thinks in part – to your preseason national player of the year, making a preseason national player of the year type play. That's great. And so you and I have both known Tom for a long time. We've been around him after wins. We've been around him after losses. Um, Even after wins, he's not always happy. He seemed happy last night after that. He knew that he didn't get a great performance out of Cassius, didn't get a great performance out of Xavier Tillman, but and knew that they were up against it against a good team with a star. And I think what Tom values more than anything from his basketball team, from any basketball team, is toughness. And they showed real toughness in those final two minutes. I I thought not a great 40-minute game, but an incredible final two minutes. 
I agree. All right. Want to move on? Well, I got to ask you one more question. Oh, boy. What's going Did on? Did last night cost Seton Hall a seed line bump? No, no seed. Listen, no seed line bump talk here, okay? That's not, that's not, it's a, it's a great, it's a, I'll tell you what, that's going to be a quad 1A win for Michigan State because there's not just quad one wins. The selection committee has 1A and 1B. That's a quad 1A win for Michigan State. That's a very, significant data point for when we get to mid-March. Credit to you for bringing up the seed line. I did not inject that, but it was a quality win. It did not. It definitely did not cost Seton Hall a seed line bump, for the record. Uh, uh, noted. Okay. <laughs> it's noted. <laughs> Let's move on. James Wiseman has withdrawn his lawsuit. Memphis has ruled him ineligible and applied for reinstatement. We'll get into that next, but first, check this out. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. Okay, so Gary had, uh, he was all over the story, as expected, um, in regard to James Wiseman's eligibility case with Memphis and the NCAA. We've had a lot of movement uh, in the previous 24 hours, 36 hours here. So, Gary, since you've been working this, um, what are the updates people need to know aside from, like, we'll obviously we'll discuss the fact that Wiseman's now ineligible, which is the most important detail. But what are the other details that have been, that you've been able to report on or get for information from sources behind the scenes? And I don't know whether uh, you've gotten this yet from sources or not, but my biggest curiosity is this. Um, has anyone, has any, have any of your sources indicated to you uh, the, the person or persons who were most responsible f- to getting the situation from where we were on uh, Tuesday when Wiseman plays in Portland against Oregon and Memphis loses to where we are now where someone had to basically say, okay, listen, we, we, we don't want to do this adversarial thing. We need to sit James, work with the NCAA, come to some sort of resolution because obviously there had to be some informal discussions to get it to this point. I personally don't believe that Memphis would have done this completely in good faith, hoping the NCAA would uh, take it easy on James, so to speak. I, I have to believe that people had discussions behind closed doors. What can you tell us? Well, from a, a, a formal perspective, the NCAA does not negotiate with you in advance, but like, you know, let's, let's be honest here. Um, there, there are conversations that had happened and, uh, Memphis did this with a fairly good, if not incredibly good idea of, of what happens next. I reported on Wednesday night that, um, there had been conversations throughout the week between Memphis, the NCAA and James Wiseman's legal team, um, in, in an attempt to try to resolve this issue. 
And then on Thursday morning, James Wiseman withdrew his lawsuit against the NCAA and the University of Memphis because he had sued, uh, he had uh, filed a, um, a complaint against both that led to the temporary restraining order. And within minutes of that becoming um, public knowledge, um, Memphis announced that it had ruled James Wiseman ineligible and applied for reinstatement. And so I was on ESPN Radio last night with um, Sarah Spain. And she asked me, so what happened? Essentially, the same question you asked. What, what happened? Why does Memphis go from two middle fingers to the NCAA? We're going to fight you to the end. This is wrong. Penny Hardaway, like literally on national television, when asked, why are you doing this? Which is a completely reasonable question. Why are you doing this? He said, because, because we think we're right. Because we'll stand by this young man, and we'd stand by any man, young man when we think we're right. How do you go from that to where we're at now. That was her question. It's essentially yours. The The truth is nothing happened except Memphis came to its senses. You know, over the past week, it's been incredible to watch because you've got Twitter lawyers and other people who have no skin in the game whatsoever. So they want Memphis to fight, fight, fight. And they convince the fan base not the entire fan base, but the, the the wackos, that the best thing you can do is fight, fight, fight. But here's the thing when you're telling somebody else to fight, 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 if you're not actually in it. If they win the fight, that's great. If they lose the fight, you just move on to telling somebody else to fight, fight, fight. It doesn't cost you a thing. And so the point I tried to make to the fan base is like, this whole fight, fight, fight thing ain't smart in this specific situation because I know that there's a Twitter lawyer out there who can like read the Bible and apply law and try to make a case that Penny Hardaway is not a booster. But good luck if you end up in front of the Committee on Infractions trying to argue Penny Hardaway is not a booster. Tom Yeager, former um, Committee on Infractions chair, was on a radio show in, in Memphis, and because these Twitter lawyers are like out there like convincing the fan base, it, it leads to somebody on radio asking Tom Yeager, well, what if Penny Hardaway is not a booster? Again, this is a guy who was the chairman of Committee on Infractions. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, he just like scoffed at the idea that maybe Penny Hardaway wouldn't be an, uh, a booster. So, but, but like that's, so like oh, you can, again, make the case why you think, you know, if you read this and read that and apply it here and there, then maybe Penny Hardaway, but you get in front of the Committee on Infractions, he's a booster. Done. You know, you can argue that it shouldn't be an impermissible benefit for James Wiseman's mother to accept $11,500 from Penny Hardaway for moving expenses. But if you end up in front of the Committee on Infractions, good luck. My point being this, what Memphis ultimately realized is that even if you can convince yourself that that nothing bad really happened, that you didn't do anything wrong, the risk so far outweighs the reward. The truth is, if they would have continued on the path that they were on, and this is the part that, that some people just cannot realize. If they would have continued on the path that they were on, it is likely that James Wiseman on Monday would have been in court and would have been granted an injunction against the NCAA. And if Memphis would have continued to stand by him, he would have played every game this season. And I guess that would have been cool to watch because it would have been <laughs> a, a highly unusual situation. Yes. But... Eventually, a court somewhere would rule that the NCAA is a voluntary organization 
Nobody forces you to be a member of it as an individual. Nobody asks you to play for a team that's a member of it. But once you agree to do these things, then you agree by extension to play by their rules. And therefore, the NCAA has a, a right to enforce its own rules. At which point, uh, the NCAA presumably, almost certainly, would have sent a notice of allegations to Memphis uh, detailing level one violations rooted in the fact at that point that they played a knowingly played an ineligible player. So, yeah, they would have vacated the 2019-20 season, but it's so much more than that. Future NCAA tournament bans, recruiting restrictions, scholarship reductions, monetary fines, a possible suspension for Penny Hardaway, a cloud that hangs over your program literally for years that that that, that at least hampers your ability to, to recruit. Like the long-term risk, and it's not just like long-term risk like if you drive without your seatbelt, you might die. It's more likely that if you drive without your seatbelt, you'll just get wherever you're going and park your car and get out. This is like the long-term risk is you are probably going to get hammered eventually for doing what Memphis was on a path to do. And so if the question is what happened, Memphis just came to a senses and said, if we can really negotiate, and I know that's not the verb they would use, but it's the proper one. If we can really negotiate this down to four or five games, which, by the way, I believe it's it's going to be five games, vacate the first two wins of the season, uh, make James uh, or his family repay the money in a charitable donation. If we can really get this down to that and then be done with this and not have to deal with everything I just detailed, this is a no-brainer. You do you do that. And so they have now done, and I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. I'm not the only person who said this. Lots of people said this. They've now done what it is I said they should do last Friday. This isn't the place to pick a fight. Like If you want to change the NCAA, I, I, I'm happy. I want to, too. But trying to do it via case tied to an undeniable recruiting violation, that ain't the place to, that ain't the place to pick your fight. All right, so <clears throat> my thought is uh, someone got to the school president and or the athletic director. Uh, my read on it is I don't think that Penny Hardaway was uh, eager to do this. Um, now, maybe he was ultimately also eventually convinced, but judging off of his comments, his body language, his <laughs> and frankly his face when he was asked about this in the two, after the UIC game and after the Oregon game, uh, to me, he had no interest in entertaining the thought of sending James Wiseman because he has a big-time issue with the logistics of the situation and the circumstances surrounding this because, again, when he makes the donation, becomes a Memphis booster, you know, 12 years ago. Uh, the idea that he is Memphis's coach at any point is is not based on any sort of reality, and no one even knows who James Wiseman is at that point because he's like a 7-, 8-year-old kid. Um, uh, secondly... Uh, I would think that Memphis has had um, not a negotiation, but some some person of importance at the NCAA level, whether it's uh, John Duncan or anyone else, talked to Memphis compliance, perhaps the president himself, and has said, uh, "Here, you know, here's what you're looking at and here's how you know this case uh could be uh ruled on and litigated going forward here um and that's why they're in this that's why they're in this position and they i would i would think i mean if they, if i prove to be wrong on this uh penny hardaway is going to be furious 
um, I would think that Memphis has get, been given some level of confidence and assurance that uh, Wiseman will be sat, he will miss games, but it will not be to the level where it is more than half of Memphis's season. Um, die hard. Well, let, let, let me, let me okay. stop you right there because I, I can tell you you're right. Okay. Um, these conversations did happen. I don't know who was on one phone and who was on the other, but I do know that somebody representing Memphis's um, uh, position and somebody representing the NCAA's position have been in contact and on the phone. And I don't think any promises were made. Right. But I, I can tell you that the basic framework of whatever punishment will be levied, um, Memphis was walked away from the conversations feeling like they had a good idea of what that is. If you go by the standard punishment based on the um, amount of money allegedly involved, mm-hmm. it would be 30% nine games. That's what it would be. The argument, I believe, because these cases aren't connected, but they are they are connected in the sense that they're both high-profile, very public cases going down at the same time. Uh-huh. Chase Young at Ohio State, mm-hmm. um, based on the money involved, should have received – I believe a four-game suspension, but the NCAA made it clear he was forthcoming. He worked with us. They were honest. They were cooperative, and they cut it in half. So, like, just apply that to Memphis. You're now being cooperative, forthcoming, honest. You're working with them. Yeah, I, I hear you. Uh, <laughs> like, I mean, maybe Paris, but not at first. Not I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, I'm just telling you where they're at yeah. right now. I mean, I'll be interested to see what the uh, what the number is. Um, just. Uh, this is Memphis's schedule coming up here. Alcorn State, right. Little Rock, home versus Ole Miss, not a gimme. Uh, in Brooklyn against NC State, not a gimme if NC State's at full health. Home versus Bradley at UAB. Big one is at Tennessee on December 14th. So if it's going to be a Chase Young cut it in half thing, Alcorn, Little Rock, Mississippi State, uh, Mississippi, sorry, NC State, Bradley, UAB, that's six games. Get him back for the Vols if he doesn't play for the Vols, and then the next two just don't matter. A home versus Jackson State, home versus New Orleans, and then they will play Tulane, and then a big non-conference game to start. The first game of 2020 for Memphis will be at Georgia. So we wait and see. And then in terms of the the money amounts, um, how the NCAA will accept uh, the Wiseman family, like, repaying that, like – you know, I don't know what the family's financial situation is now, but like, do they have? They needed the money to move from one spot to another. <laughs> like, do they suddenly have twelve thousand dollars? Norlander, this this is Memphis. Somebody I'm just saying. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying. Exactly, <laughs> we, exactly. Hey, it's we Memphis, got... which is why we're in this position to begin with. So, <laughs> if they needed the money to begin with, and now they're gonna pay it back, so he's in good standing. Uh, the MCLA is gonna want to know. Hey, just uh, how'd you get it? Okay, because we're not gonna keep just doing this. We're not gonna. Do- what if they do? open another investigation to in, to look into how Wiseman repaid <laughs> repaid the money? This is a this is a this is a, an an important detail. If you does Wiseman getting back on the court is is a major discrepancy of that. The NCAA receiving restitution for this does that need to be paid off before? And if it does, <laughs> I I'm, that's a, I want to know how they're going to do it. Like, we got to get on. Hey, we're gonna get on a payment plan. Yes, we'll, we'll repay that in full. We'll pay the remaining balance. 
the the day after Wiseman's final game at Memphis when he signs with an agent that he's probably had for two years. Right, exactly. That, and that's like I, I we, we got to move on, make picks here. I don't because yeah. I don't want to slip down that slide completely. But like that's why we just like this whole thing can get ridiculous because if you told me that was actually how this thing winds up getting wrapped up, it's like not necessarily like a legitimate like payment <laughs> plan. Like you don't pay, if you don't pay it by the fifteenth, we're gonna send you an email and then you're, you're gonna you're gonna face like a, a bonus like thirty dollar late fee or anything like that. Like but. If this stuff gets paid off eventually, then what are we even like? What are we doing here? Like, like what the hell are we even doing here? If that's what's going to wind up happening is when the restitution comes, like after the season. I got no issue with it, but then like, why even suspend them to begin with? If uh, whatever, anyway. Uh, I'll bottom line it this way. Um, my guess, and it's an educated guess, if I'm being honest, but it, it's still just a guess. We will see. But I would assume a four or five game suspension. They'll handle the repayment, however they handle it and they'll have to vacate the first two wins of the season. And and I should be clear, um, when I say vacate, I don't mean forfeit. Yeah. I don't mean that the selection committee is going to be dealing with, well, you know, Memphis Open with a loss to South Carolina State. I right. don't think that's the way this goes down. Those two wins would just be wiped away. Because ultimately, everybody here, and it is a negotiation, even if nobody will ever publicly call that call it that, Um. Everybody needs to be able to walk away saying they won on some level. So for Memphis to win, um, they need to be able to stand up and say, hey, listen, under normal circumstances, this would have been nine games. But we fought and we got it down to five. We won. Okay, good good for you. The NCAA needs to say, we told Memphis not to play an ineligible player. They did it anyway. We made them vacate the first two wins of the season. We won. Okay, good for you. Just everybody needs to be able to feel that like they won something and say that they won something. So the NCAA's win will be, hey, look, everybody in the country, pay attention. When we tell you do not play an ineligible player and you do it anyway, you will vacate those games because we made Memphis vacate those games. But again, they're not going to turn them into losses, I don't believe. They'll just erase them. So in theory, if Memphis would have won 28 games, It'll just be 26 instead of 28. It'll just be minus two. Think about it this way. When John Cal- when the 2007-2008 Memphis season is vacated, John Calipari loses 38 wins from his career record. But they don't become 38 losses. Right. They just, they just, they're just not – he's just – they just, just take these 38 wins. You don't put them in the loss column. You just throw them in the trash. And this, I believe, will work similarly. What's fascinating, though, is that – the headline will be Memphis has to vacate two games, and you'll be like, ooh, doesn't really matter. Will, will I? Will anyone be like, ooh? I, I, I think people who only read headlines will. Okay. Ooh. Just like, just, like when the, just like when the NCAA says, um, we are working on name, name image and likeness rights. And everybody's like, oh, congrats, NCAA. Then you read it, and you're like, what? This is not that. Same thing. So here's the point, and then we'll move on to the picks. Um, you know how the selection committee works. You've sat in that room. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't care about win total. No, they don't sit. They don't sit there and go, "Well, this team's got twenty-eight wins, and this other team's got twenty-four. So the team with twenty-eight is clearly better than the team with twenty-four. Win total does not matter. Right. The only thing that matters is quality wins. Quad one wins. Quad two wins. Bad losses. Yeah. And so if you just erase a South Carolina State win, erase an Illinois Chicago, win, it doesn't affect their resume at all. It could, in theory, affect other teams' resumes. Think about this. And I'm not trying to drag Kentucky into this, but it just makes the point I want to make. Um, if this had happened at Kentucky and Kentucky handled it the exact same way, and then they have to vacate their first two wins of the season, Kentucky would then be vacating a win over Michigan State. Yeah, That would really affect your resume. Seed line but, bump. 
that would be a seed line bump. It would be. But but Memphis erasing wins over South Carolina State and Illinois has no impact on their resume whatsoever. So even though the NCAA will claim that as a win and use it as a deterrent, and it might be a real deterrent going forward, in terms of Memphis in this season with its resume, it, it, it doesn't appear that it'll matter at all. All right. I don't know what games you're going to pick out of this hat right now because we got, I got a, some we, good ones. We got a random weekend of college basketball ahead, so uh, I'm excited. The only one that I think that we that you would definitely pick is Gonzaga at Texas A&M because that's the best game of Friday by far, I think, and Gonzaga's on the road. Am I right? Is that one of the five? Uh, somebody reminded me on Twitter. No, 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 no. That's a good game. And this thing is going to be up for eight hours before that game gets played. Stop. Somebody somebody reminded me on Twitter that I have a fundamental rule against picking Friday games. I forgot. I forgot I made that rule until somebody reminded me last week. And so I don't I, I don't have that on my list. If you want to make the case going forward that I should reconsider, you can make that case. But we're recording this in real time, and I've got five games and none of them are on Friday. I don't pick I don't pick Friday games. All right, we won't pick any of the Friday ones. Uh, just real quick. Uh, Gonzaga at A&M is a 9 o'clock tip on Friday. That's that's actually a solid game because uh, they're on the road against Buzz Williams' team. And then keep an eye on Bama at Rhode Island, also a Friday one that has a little bit of interest. West Virginia at Pitt, uh, you know, we'll see what happens there as well. So Friday is not void of good stuff. Um, Saturday and Sunday uh, are, so this is going to get w- weird in a hurry. But, uh, but Friday is actually somewhat solid, as Paris mentioned last week. November usually gives us some decent games. That's that's the other reason why you should put a, uh, a hold on your your you know philosophy on this just for the month of November, December through March. I get it, uh, but this usually Friday is better than uh, than Saturday or Sunday generally speaking. But whatever. Okay, give me the games. What do we got here? Okay, for people who uh, are just catching up, we have decided that on Friday we will pick five games against the spread. Because the games uh, typically aren't going to have official point spreads connected to them yet, we will use the Ken Palm projected score to give us a point spread. We started this last week, and I think Norlander went three and two, and I went two and three. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's what we got, yes. Okay. So now I got five more games, starting with Saturday games. We have Tennessee against number 20 Washington in Toronto. If your question is, why is Tennessee and Washington playing in Toronto? No idea. <laughs> why are they doing that? This I mean, is, I understand. I, I know the answer. Money. Somebody paid them to do it. But this is, this is the type of thing I hate, is that that game would be awesome in Knoxville. Yes. Or awesome in Seattle. And you put it in Toronto and whatever. I know. I... There's some reason. Someone's got a reason. I don't care about the reason. I hate it's the reason. It's tied to money. I promise Obviously you. Obviously tied to money. It's stupid. This this game shouldn't be played in Toronto. It is by far the best game of Saturday. Um, all right. What's our line here? Okay. The Kimpom projected score is Tennessee minus three. So this is one of those situations where the ranking doesn't line up with the, the computer at all. At Ken Palm, Tennessee is number 21. I've actually got Tennessee ranked in the top 25 and 1, but they are not in the AP poll. Ken Palm has uh, got UT, UT at number 21, got Washington at number 45. Tennessee minus 3, what you doing? <sighs> Tennessee minus 3? Uh, I think Washington's the better team. Um, so I will take Washington straight up. Okay. Uh, not even just to cover the three. I'll take Washington to win the game. Um, Tennessee has been um, 
I think it came from behind. I mean, it romped Murray State on Tuesday, one by 21, but I'm pretty sure that I saw that Murray State, I'm checking right now, I thought Murray State was winning that game at the half. Yeah, it was. Murray State was up at the half, and then, oh, good God, Tennessee just killed him. <laughs> Murray State could have used Jaw there. I don't know if he would have been the complete difference. But, yeah, I will take uh, I'll take the Huskies to, to win it, this game, and in doing so, uh, get to 3-0 before they play a bunch of garbage, and we won't talk about Washington for a long time. Um, I'm going to take Tennessee because, like I have written about, I believe, twice this week, <laughs> I root for the top 25 and one. Um, and I, it's, it's been, it, it, this isn't devastating for the top 25 and one. I have Tennessee higher than Washington, but I could flip them or whatever. It's not a problem, but, um, I'm just going to, I'm going to rely on the top 25 and one. So I'll take Tennessee minus three. I will say, um, it was made a big deal that Rick Barnes enrolled his first five-star prospect, uh, since getting to Knoxville when he enrolled, uh, Josiah Jordan James. And it's still early, two games, but he's done nothing so far. He's averaging three and a half points per game. <laughs> I don't bring that up for any other reason than I noticed it. Okay. <laughs> Why is that so funny to you? <laughs> Just because you're like, this guy stinks. I don't, say, I don't mean he stinks. I just mean he hasn't done anything yet. He's like, um, we see five-star prospects all over the country, like, balling out. But specifically, Washington's are playing well. Yes. And, uh, uh, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah Stewart, which, one, which yes. one's been better so far? Stewart's been a little bit better, but Jay McDaniels has been awesome as well. Yeah, they've both been good. They've been yeah, both, they both they've been good. Both been and, good then, yes. and then Tennessee has a five-star freshman. He has not been good, but maybe this will be his breakout game. Uh, I've got Tennessee. Norlander's got Washington. Okay, Saturday. Yes. This is a good one. I, I, I can't imagine we've ever talked about either one of these before. Oh, boy. Cornell at DePaul. DePaul is minus 19. <laughs> Blue Demons are 4-0 and and coming off a 15-point win at Iowa, they're number sixty-four at Ken Palm right now. How about how about DePaul going in to Carver Hawkeye and just pasting Iowa? I mean, it, uh, Parrish, you'll actually believe this because if you told me the other, I wouldn't believe you. But I I watched Iowa DePaul on my second screen for like most of the game, and they they were obviously better. Shouts to DePaul. Shouts to the Big East, which is performing on the whole. Big East and Big 12 have been the two best leagues, I think, so far through the first 9-10 games of the season here. I love – first, I love that you picked this game. I just need to know why you picked this game. Because it would give me a reason to point out DePaul's 4-0 with a 15-point win at Iowa. Yeah. No, listen. And and they're, they're worth a little bit of shine here because we – in the history of this podcast, the over-under, us talking seven and a half minutes of DePaul, I got to take the under there. Um, so credit to them for getting out to a strong start. They're hosting Cornell. You said the line is DePaul minus 19? DePaul minus 19. <sighs> Give me the Blue Demons all Woo! day long. All day long. Gonna get to, they're going to get to 5-0, and oh, and then they're going to lose probably at BC a week from now. But, uh, but I will take DePaul to cover 19. Uh, Cornell's just not that good this season. And why not? I'm loving that you picked this game. Loving it. If, if you can win by 15 at Iowa, surely you can handle Cornell by 19 at home, 20 at home, whatever you need to do. So, uh, yeah, we'll both go with DePaul in that one. Next game. Yeah. Belmont. Mm. <laughs> at Boston College. Trivia time. Uh, we okay. Know you, uh, okay. We, know, we know you used to pleasure yourself to Belmont's coach. Oh, boy. Who is now Belmont's coach? Oh, come on, Casey Alexander. Can you make it difficult for me on these trivia okay. times? Name the two other places he has been a head coach. Uh, Lipscomb and Furman? 
Stetson. Stetson! Mm. Mm. <laughs> Boston College minus one. That's it? Yes. This is at BC? That's according to Ken Palm, and it is, I believe, at BC, but let me make sure. At BC, and BC is minus one? That's what I've said. The projected score at Ken Palm is 74-73, Boston College. I don't think Boston is College has lost game. yet. Has Boston College lost yet? I don't think they have because they beat Wake. They are 3-0. and This is going to be at Conti Forum. Have you ever been to Conti Forum? I have been to Conti Forum, yes. I have, too. I've been to Conti Forum, too. Not many arenas these days are called forums, but yes, Conti Forum. Uh, 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 FedEx Forum. That is correct. You Wait a second. When were you at Conti Forum? I was there for – it was one of those things where I went and did a, a few different places all at one time. Like, I didn't just go to a BC game. I was – I don't remember the details, but I was – I planned it like, okay, I'm going to be here on this night, and then I'll pop over to Boston and be here for this, and then I'll pop over there, and then I'll go home. But it, I, I do remember it was a Duke at Boston College game. Yeah. And I, I want to say that, like, um, Alex Skinner was still the coach, so it was a long time ago. I want to say that, like, Duke was number one in the country, so it was a big game. And, like, it, it, it could not have felt like less of a big game. There was nobody there. Nobody cared. Not, Just uh, nobody cared. Yeah, unfortunately, Connie Forum, not one of the more intimidating environments. Uh, Boston, in general, is amazing. It's, like, the best college city in America because there are, there are – Boston, I think, within its city limits, has more colleges and universities than any city in the country. But when it comes to college athletics, particularly – it's terrible. Such a weird dichotomy. Anyway, we're off the rails here, um, and we're definitely over. Uh, let's. I'm going to take BC. Listen, you know, love me some Belmont Bruins here, uh, but Bird's no longer on the sideline, and that's only one point. I got to go with the. I got to go with the Eagles. I will take Boston College as well. Okay. Even though I want to ride with Casey Alexander, former Stetson coach. On Sunday, we get number 15 Florida at UConn. Florida minus two, and the Gators are one of the big, like, what are you doing teams so far this season? They obviously um, lost at home by double digits to, at the time, an unranked Florida State team. And then um, on, was it, la was it last night? No, it was two nights ago. Two nights ago? They were in a real game. No, it was last night. Oh, I Thursday. thought you were going to say UConn two nights ago. No, yeah, well, like, okay, yeah, like, we'll get to UConn problems okay. in a minute, but... Florida has got Towson at home, and they're in a tie game with a couple of minutes to go. Now, you and I both love Pat Scary, but Towson's not supposed to be able to go into Florida and be in a tie game with two minutes to go. And so I don't know what to make of Florida right now, but I, 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 think, I'll, I think I'll take them to win this, given what UConn just did. I'll let you explain that. But neither one of these teams, this is not your – this is not your um, – Mid two thousand Florida and UConn situations. It's not what I. I'm going to be at the game. Um, I got a birthday party situation. My my son turns four, and then I got to leave to go watch Florida UConn. Um, I don't know if I'll get to see Florida in person again this season. Uh, period. So I you know wanted to get a chance there, and who knows? Maybe they, maybe they somehow turn around and look like a top ten team eventually here. But they haven't looked at at all. Um, was able to get the win, sure, against Towson, but it was close, and they pulled away late. Um, obviously, that loss to Florida State there, so not quite. Uh, Blackshear has has been good, not great so far. Um, UConn, I mean, it, it, 
looked terrible at home against St. Joe's. And St. Joe's in his first year. Trivia time. Who's the new St. Oh. Joe's coach, Parrish? Who's the new St. Joe's coach? Yeah, trivia time. There you go. You can't um, tell me. Billy Lang. There you're we talking go. The, you're talking to the <laughs> – Gee, you're talking to the MC of the 810 Media Day. <laughs> That's right. It what? took you a second, though, to pull that out of the bag. It did take you a second. It took you a second. Um, UConn, I mean, just I don't know what that St. Joe's loss was. Um, team's got a long way to go. I'm not confident in this at all, but you tell me Florida minus two. I'll take Gata. I'll take Gata to do it, but uh, – but not a high level of confidence. I have no, I have no idea what I'm going to be in store for in stores when this game tips off Sunday at three o'clock. Okay, you're taking Florida. I am also taking Florida minus two. I'm just going to trust that a preseason top ten team can go beat a team that just lost to St. Joseph's. Right? I'm just I'll, I'll trust it blindly, but who knows? We'll see. Last game, number twelve, Seton Hall. What? This is the game you're picking? That's the game you're picking. Number 12, Seton Hall at St. Louis? Yeah. Why would you pick that game? SLU? No. I like, why would you not take Marquette at Wisconsin? I don't even, I don't even think I saw that. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> obviously the better game. Whatever. You've already, you've already picked the game. Just so people know, Marquette at Wisconsin, 1 o'clock on Sunday. It's the best it game. It is, yes. I see it now. Yep. No, but you've already made your decision. Seton Hall at St. Louis is what we're Seton riding Hall with. Saint, how did I miss Marquette at Wisconsin? This is the problem when neither one of these teams that should be that could be ranked in different seasons are ranked. It like gets off your radar a little bit, which is another reason why when people say the rankings don't matter, they do matter. If one of these teams is ranked, I would notice the game <laughs> because neither is. I had no idea it was even happening. Oh yeah, that's I okay. I definitely thought that's where we were headed, but it's okay. Seton Hall, St. Louis. What's the line? Uh. Seton Hall minus seven. I'm taking St. Louis. Uh, that's in the Billikens home arena. Which is great, by the way. I've never I've been, been there. I've, I've been there as well. I have I've been to Conti Forum and whatever they call that place. Chaffetz. Come on, Chaffetz. man. Chaffetz Arena. I've never even been there, and I know it. Yeah, Chaffetz Arena. <sighs> I'm definitely taking- How about this? When I think it was my first ever sideline reporting ever. For CBS Sports Network, maybe second. It's uh, Brad Stevens, still the coach at Butler, when they are in the A-10 playing at St. Louis. St. Louis wins the game. And so it's a big deal. It's, I, I, you know, it's Brad Stevens. They've been to, back, they've been to two straight um, national championship games. So people are actually watching. St. Louis is, is, um, wins the game. Jim Cruz is the head coach. Yeah. They're going to come to me for a live on the court, you know, post-game interview. Well, the students are going to swarm the court, storm the court. And the I'm working with a wired microphone. And so they're coming to me. I'm nervous. Like, I've never done this before. And now I'm trying to find Jim Cruz, who I don't know that well. And then I'm, I'm you know, I got students coming onto the court. And so I can hear, I've got my earpiece in. My FB, I can hear them, and they're like, and now with Jim Cruz on the court, uh, we go to Gary Parish, <laughs> And I start interviewing Jim Cruz. Jim, whatever I said. Please I tell know. me you were actually interviewing Jim Cruz. I wasn't. Yes. Okay. Actually, I had Jim Cruz. Okay. The student storm in the court, somebody tripped on the wire, ripped it out. My microphone's not working at all. <laughs> it's like my first post-game interview. 
court storming on TV, and I might have no mic. I'm just sitting there talking into a microphone. I'm giving the microphone to Jim Crew. He's talking. Nobody can hear a word we're saying. It's totally ridiculous. I was. I. I thought. I. The only thing that made me not hate myself was that it like undeniably was not my fault. But you yeah. just don't. You, uh. you. You know. You. You. You never. I was going to say you dream of that moment. Given my career, I never dreamt of that moment. I had no idea I'd ever be a sideline reporter. But, like, suddenly you're there, and you're like, wow, this is cool. I'm on TV interviewing coaches, court storming. Brad Stevens is right there, and then nobody can hear a word. You just feel – you just feel – you just want it to go well, and it couldn't have gone worse. That is <laughs> wild. And that would have been – I'm looking right now. So, uh, what year would that have been? I'll try to look it up here. Oh, yeah. Hey, I got you. I got you. Okay. 2013. So, 75. They killed them. They like, yes, I do I do remember they beat them good. 75-58. Man, they rumped them. That was the year Slew was a four seed in the tournament, too. Um, all right. Uh, St. Louis likes to uh, uh, play a slower game. Uh, solid defensive team. You're telling me they're getting seven at home, according to Ken Palm? I'm, I'm taking... I'm taking the Billikens, no doubt about it. So I think I was going to take the Billikens as well, but does that mean we agreed on everything? No, we disagree on Tennessee Washington. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, then that's where we'll. You know what? I'll take. I'm not. I'm you don't have to be Slew. different. Take the game you want to be. Take the game that you have more confidence in. I'm the MC of the Atlantic Ten Media Day. Okay. How am I going to pick against St. Louis at home as a seven point underdog with Seton Hall in a clear letdown situation? Yeah, that's that's not that's not good. By the way, I think the line like this this the picks plus have been, Miles Powell's drugs are probably going to wear off by then, <laughs> and he'll be hurting. I would assume it'd be it wouldn't it be wild though if like Miles Powell gets like twelve points, is five of twenty four from the field. It'd be college basketball will do that to you. By the way, that that is exactly the type of thing that happens. Yes, yeah. If that if that does happen, I will not be even remotely surprised um but there but there we go those are the five games tennessee washington depaul uh is playing cornell <laughs> boston college belmont florida yukon seton hall st louis oh by the by marquette plays at wisconsin um that game is uh is probably the biggest of the weekend i would think but you know what don't, ah, details don't worry about it. it's 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 not that uh, it's not the big deal by the way what i was gonna say though as we gotta wrap this pod I, we have gone so over, it's not even funny. Um, Just stupid. Like, I really did think if we were ever going to be able to knock out like a 35-minute pop, this would be the day. And, like, here we are. It's not the day. Just so you know, though, like, the lines on Sportsline were up before this. So we did have the lines for Saturday available to us. So we'll keep that in mind going forward. I'm trying to – I'm actually trying – I'm desperately trying to find the actual Cornell-DePaul line right now. I'm, like, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Oh, this is Friday's games. That's why. Hold on. Is Saturday up? Is Saturday – it's not up. All right, you're That's right. why I do – what I, I explain this in great detail. This Saturday's is why I use the Ken Palm Terrible. Score. Terrible, but you know what? The Kemba predictions are usually close, so we'll see. We'll keep it keep it going. Uh, this segment is everything I want it to be. By the way, just irreverence <laughs> off the rails. You telling me that you went to freaking Conti Forum? This is podcast gold right now. I've been to Conti Forum. I've been to Shavitz Arena. I've been everywhere at this point, except except the Palestra. All right, let's uh, let's get out of here. I got to prep for a four year old's birthday party this weekend, and I'm so psyched for it. I have a three-year-old's birthday party right. this weekend. That's right. Our, yeah. our children are separated by one day. So my my son turns four on Saturday. Yours turns three on Sunday? Today. Today. 
He's three right now. As we speak, he's three years old. We're 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 in for it this week. I gotta I gotta go to this uh, like trampoline park. All this stuff. Do they have those down down by you? Oh, Is that like a big thing? Dude, do they have trampoline parks in Mississippi? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm saying like. It, where we are in different parts of the country, and yes. where I live, this has become the thing now. When your kid turns two, three, four, five years old, you take twenty-five kids, and they go nuts at a trampoline park. So I just oh wonder. yeah, we we have them. Yes. Absolutely, we have them. In fact, I would think not only do we have them, most people have trampolines themselves. <laughs> so yeah. we have a trampoline in our backyard, and uh, and trampoline parks available to us. That's not what we're doing this weekend, but uh, we've one hundred percent done it before. Right, so interesting uh, enjoy happens, your son's yeah. birthday. I'm going to enjoy my son's birthday. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF Teagle, the legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. We will talk to you again on Sunday. Till then, take care.